1: We got one from john a one it says how important is the draft when it comes to recruiting i think notre dame has the fifth most players in the nfl how effective is that pitch i, I want to say this one real quick right number one the fifth most players in the nfl is fine but it's not just about the number of players you got to have some difference makers or at least some guys that, that are good players right right and and so that's that's the thing for me but um how how important is is nfl to the draft depends who are we talking about we're we talking about keon keely Are we talking about Bubukar Traore and Armo Mukum? It's a lot more important to win over Keon Keely and players like him than it is to to some of those other guys, in my opinion. So it just depends on what kind of player we're talking about. Are we talking about a guy that's a truly elite of the elite? Then, yeah, you need to have some level of putting guys in the NFL there. That's going to be something that helps you a lot at a lot of those positions.
2: I think recruits also associate themselves with certain types of players as well. And that could be from the past too. I mean, I mean, Brian, like if I was Notre Dame staff, I would have been like, Armel, we had a kid like you a few years ago, very similar player. His name was Adio Gadiji He was very much like you, you know, three star by most people underrated, really high upside, a lot of the ceiling. And then he ends up being a fourth round draft pick and he's playing in the NFL, right? Like that could be you. Like that's the, that's the pipeline to you. Right. So I think that those types of things for me, John, they could, they could, uh, player, player, recruits can see themselves in certain players. Right. Like I think it's easy for Keon Keeley, for instance, in Brian's thing to say, like, I could be Will Anderson. I could do that. I could be that guy because you just showed me that with a highly rooted, recruited player that with the right coaching, I can make him into a two time All American and a potential number one overall pick. Like I could do that. And I think Keon looks at that and says, I could do that. But I also think that you could look at an under-recruited kid, a kid that's a little bit more of a project type, and say, hey, man, we've had projects before, though, and it's worked out. We can do this. So I think the pitch pitches all changed depending on what player you're looking at, but I do think it can be effective. I also think it's dependent on the program as far as how much they sell that vision, right? Because I, I, fi- I do feel like there are some schools that maybe don't, don't cash in on that enough all the time, right? It's like, hey, we did this, this, and this and we only had that, and we still got to that point. And I think Notre Dame can make those claims of like, hey, man, we've had this this many defensive linemen drafted to the NFL, and some of them were a little higher rated, like the Dalen Hazes of the world. Some of them were a little lower rated, like the audio of the world. Some of them were in the mold of a Khalid Kareem, like all different body types that eventually made that jump. And I think that you can sell that vision as long as you do it properly. I do. I just don't think that – To Brian's point, I don't think every player thinks about that as much. And then I also think that not every program sells it as much as they should all the time.
1: Agree. Look, we can't discount the impact that Harry Heastan putting guys in the top 10 of the NFL draft had on his recruiting ability. I mean, kids say it all the time. Well, look what he's done, look what he's produced. So yeah, why would I not want to play for that guy? So yeah, the talent you and what's the ultimate gauge? There's two ultimate gauges to, to show we're producing big time players winning championships and high NFL draft picks. Yep. Notre Dame doesn't have one of those to show right now. So, you know, and, and sometimes they go hand in hand to a degree, but not always. There's plenty of teams, a lot of NFL draft picks that don't have a bunch of championships. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's an important thing. Vanilla chill with a question here, Ryan. Ryan, do you plan on having Connor Rogers on again to talk about Notre Dame players in the draft and the draft in general this year? Loved it when he was on last year.
2: Yeah, I'm planning on a vanilla chill. I mean, so we're starting the the night show this Thursday for the draft. This one will, will probably be pre recorded, but in the future, I'm definitely planning on having guys like like uh, Connor Rogers on, Jordan Reed, maybe Dane Brugler. Like, you know, I, I have developed some pretty good contacts in the in the NFL draft space, so I'm gonna have as many great guests as I can possibly on that show. I think it'll be a lot of fun leading up to the draft, especially all those guys are on the all-star circuit right now. Like they're all down in mobile and taking in those sites. So I think it'll be really impactful and I hope you all enjoy it when it, when it does happen.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash blue Wire. Just go to Indeed.com slash blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash blue Wire. Terms and conditions
3: apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The headlines remind us daily the world is a dangerous place. Let's get to uh, – we're
1: also going to have some night recruiting stuff coming up here in a little bit, but we're not sure with some different people. Myself will, will be one of the big things on that. So we're going to have some stuff coming up here this offseason. There's no doubt about that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Here's another one from uh, John A1. We'll get this one out from John. He says, Brian, please tell me the Panthers won't draft Will Levis or Quentin Richardson. I'd rather draft Michael Mayer or trade back. It seems my team will never win. Hired
2: Frank Reich.
1: I'm scared.
2: I actually kind of like the Frank Reich hire, to be honest, John. I think that that is going to bring at least some stability. I know it didn't end great with the Colts there, but I think that was more general general manager doing, excuse me. Like the Colts just couldn't figure out the quarterback position, man. They couldn't figure it out. I mean, you went from – you went from Phillip Rivers to Carson Wentz to Matt Ryan back to back to years. I mean, you really went from washed – Carson Wentz is no good to another washed quarterback. Like that's just what you did in a three-year span. But you saw even when you had Phillip Rivers as your quarterback, I mean, Phillip Rivers was still good enough that you got to a, a playoff and were able to, you know, be a, a threat in the playoffs. Right. So I think the Colts will be okay if they, I'm sorry, the Panthers in this situation will be okay with Frank, right? Because I really do like Frank. And honestly, I think the Panthers have kind of quietly gotten a decent core of their team. I mean, you have Brian Burns, you have Derek Brown, you have J.C. Horn, you still have D.J. Moore at wide receiver. You just drafted uh, you just drafted the offensive tackle from NC State, who um, Iquanu last year, right? So there's a decent core, I think, for the Panthers to build upon. I can't promise you that the Panthers won't draft Will Levis or – anthony richardson i can't promise you that because at the i mean i think they had the ninth overall pick so bryce young's gonna be off the board cj stroud's gonna be off the board but honestly lucky for you john is that will levis will probably also be off the board so it might be anthony richardson or passing on quarterback for a year yeah. which that might have to be the worst thing because if so if you were a team that had a maybe a quarterback that was still good but was on the last couple years of his of his contract or a guy that was, you know, a couple years from retirement, right? And you said like, "Hey, we're going to take a shot at Anthony Richardson because we could be slow with him and we could let him develop for a year or two behind a really good player." I think that that could be a reasonable outcome to to take or at least a option to take. But with where the Panthers are with no quarterback on the roster, I mean, you have Sam Darnold and you tried the Baker Mayfield thing before you traded him away to the Rams or released him and the Rams picked him up. So I just don't think there was an option. So I think you're going to be forced to playing a different quarterback in 2023. So I, I don't think Anthony Richardson is the right fit for that scenario. And I, but I ultimately think it won't be Will Levis because he'll be off the board at that point.
1: One question we forgot to address, Ryan, and one of the previous yep. questions was the one about, uh, about will teams do what USC did and have their quarterback punt? I would say maybe. Number one, it the depends puns. on do you have a quarterback that can punt. Number one, I mean Caleb Williams could clearly do it. Number two is you can only do that in certain situations. You can't do that from your own twenty. Right. You only do that when you're like near midfield or past midfield and things like that. So it's it's there's there's limit. Like for example, Clemson could not have done that on the punt they had blocked for a touchdown because they were backed up deep in their own territory. I mean, Notre Dame would have still been like, yeah, they're not going for it on fourth and ten here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we know something's coming, so we're we're gonna we're gonna do something different. So, and then what do you do? You have your your quarterback punt it from the end zone, and then okay, you don't get a blocked punt for touchdown there, but you know what you do? Your punt returner fields it at the forty five and has fifteen yards to run before anybody gets to him, because you know what I mean? Because you've got your offensive guys trying to run down a cover, and they're not used to that, so. It, There's limitations to when you can do it. And yeah, it'd probably be smart for teams to do that. Cause somebody asked this question on uh, Michael Johnson, who's a regular here, asked this question on the YouTube channel, like in after a post show question. He said, Did Cincinnati block a lot of kicks? I'm like, Yeah, they tied the for the nation league with six in his last year, Cincinnati. And then they had seven this year. Now in 2021, it was a combination of punts and blocks, where this year was all punts. But this is kind of what Marcus Freeman hired Brian Mason to do, was be disruptive. And as we've said, there's two ways to be disruptive as a, as a special teams unit. this was the frustrating thing under Brian Polian. Block a kick or be so aggressive, uh, assuming you're sound with it, that you force a lot of bad punts. And we saw that against Syracuse. They had the one block pump, but they had two shanked punts in that game as well. That set another, Well, at least one set up Notre for, for score. And so, yeah, if you're starting to get teams say, well, you know, we're at our own 40 and so we're going to have our quarterback punted on fourth and 10 and Notre Dame knows it's coming. They're they're going to be able to have something back there to be able to set up that return. Cause like you're going to have five offensive linemen trying to cover a punt. You're going to have receivers who aren't used to tackling and a quarterback and a running back trying to cut, run down and cover a punt. We're going to be more prepared for that if it's coming and then Notre Dame have answers, right? Part of the reason it worked against USC is because nobody done it before. By the third time somebody does that, Notre Dame's got answers, right? And so that's part of it. That's part of it as well. So it's, it's a good question. It's a very, it was a very good question. And speaking of this one, here's same kind of similar topic. Salty Virginia Peanuts asks, with James Laurinaitis leaving, could Brian Mason add linebacker coaching to his special teams duties? It seems so, and I thought he had coached linebackers before. That gets him a raise and in line for a DC. Let, let me say this. Number one is just because he coaches linebackers doesn't mean he can be a defensive coordinator. I have no idea of his ability to coordinate a defense. And just because you can coordinate special teams doesn't mean you can coordinate a defense. I'm not saying he can't. I'm saying we have no idea, number one. Number two, he coached rovers, basically the rovers of Cincinnati. And number three, my answer would be I hope not because I want him to keep doing what he's doing. I want all his time being spent on keep doing what you're doing on special teams. That's my answer to that. If you have to help out on defense to a degree, and this is, I think, a 180 from what I felt lastly. Like, hey, you know, you could use some coach, but after watching his special teams this year, I want him spending all his time cooking up ways to be even better on special teams because man, that that's and look, him getting a raise should be because he was the best flipping special teams coach in the country last year. And in one game where they got matched up against another team with good special teams, Brian Mason's unit had the bigger impact, in my opinion. So yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not having him distract from that, and his pay raise should already be on the way, right? I mean, that should already be there, in my opinion. Let's get to the next
2: one, Ryan. You have a thought on that? I mean, I don't know enough about his background as a coach to be to say like, yeah, he could be a linebacker coach. I mean, you said he coached Rovers, like I, right? I just don't know. I, you know, and it's like one of those things where free coach freeman would know a lot better than me on what the acumen of his intelligence when it comes to coaching linebackers would be right like i just i personally just don't know enough about him to say he should be a linebacker coach he can't coach linebackers i have no idea what his background is in that sense
1: all right let's get to irish shy town says what do you think of notre dame bringing in bobby howard or manti teo as a ga well, number one, I don't think Bobby Howard would be eligible for that because it's like a number of years since you've been removed from high school from from your playing career. I think Bobby Howard's pretty pretty far past that. Is Bobby Howard <laughs> coaching somewhere now?
2: No idea. No idea.
1: Yeah. So no. I, I I don't have an answer to that one. So uh, and 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 look, Manti. Look, if Manti Taylor wanted to come back and be a GA, would I hire him in a freaking heartbeat? I would. <laughs> yeah. I just don't know if that's something Manti wants to do. And from what I was told, I don't know if that's something that Manti's wife would necessarily want him to do,
2: but sure. I I honestly feel like, I don't know if you agree with this or not, but the whole James Laurinaitis thing too, I feel like having a guy like James Laurinaitis in the room can make some coaches lazy. I'm not saying that necessarily happened, but I'm saying that it's easier to just kind of sit back and be like, hey man, he could sell it, right? Like he could sell it. I think this could be kind of a kick in the butt to say like, hey, yeah, we're going to bring in another GA, but it's not going to be a high-profile guy that can take right. all the recruiting off of your plate, right, for instance. And right? coaching
1: like, off of your plate. Yeah, right. like you,
2: you got to do that, right? That's what you're getting paid for. The GA can come in and help you, and he can come be an asset to the coaching staff. But I think this might be an opportunity to just kind of be like, hey, man, this isn't a free pass, you know, like a little kick in the butt and be like, hey, <laughs> let's get going now here. Well, you looked at it from the recruiting standpoint. I'm going to look at it from yeah. the te-
1: coaching standpoint. We heard about practices, you were at some, where Al Golden's over there working with the defensive ends and working over here. No, we we hired you to run the defense, but you built your reputation recently on being a really good linebackers coach. The linebackers are the least well-coached unit on our team. I don't want you telling a GA to then go teach the players to do the A, B, and C. It's your job to coach them. It's your job to coach the starters. It's your job to coach the backups. And it's your job to coach the young guys and get them ready to play. And you need to step up and get it done. Because, again, it's not like this guy doesn't have a reputation of being a good linebackers coach. He does. And that's what makes it so frustrating that he didn't do a better job this year, in my opinion. But also gives me hope that, you know, if he if he figures it out, he could get it back on track. Because, again, he's shown he's got the ability to do it. We'll just see if he does. Ben Tarnowski says, "Off topic, Ryan. From a draft perspective, is Hendon Hooker a good, potentially great quarterback prospect, or a product of Heipel's system?"
2: Ben, I think I think it's a I think it could be a little combination of both. I don't think it's definitely one side or the other. I I think I ended up with a mid-second round grade on Hendon Hooker. I like Hendon Hooker. I think in the right situation, he could be a very good football player, even despite coming off of the torn ACL. Like I think that he has. Good size. I think he's a good athlete. I think he has a strong arm. I mean, there's and he's pretty accurate, honestly. Like he's not an inaccurate player. I mean, so I, I think that he has enough talent to be a starting caliber quarterback on the next level, to be a good, good, solid starting quarterback at the next level, maybe a little better, depending on how he's developed. But I mean, also, I mean, Josh Hype will definitely accentuated his strengths a ton, right? I mean, like Hendon Hooker was a really good deep ball thrower, for instance, right? And he took advantage of of all opportunities there. And it is a very quarterback friendly system at Tennessee. So did Josh Heupel help him and make things easy on Hendon Hooker? No doubt. That's what good offense coordinators do. But I don't think that changes the fact that Hendon Hooker has all the physical tools to be a very good quarterback or to be a good quarterback on the next level, I should say. So I I I still think he's a very good day two quarterback that has the potential to be a starter down the road. It's just obviously rehabbing from the injury and getting in a good situation because – Honestly, depending how quarterbacks develop on the next level, situation is so important. And that's another thing that we just don't talk about enough.
1: Rob Osgood I, I asked this one, Ryan. It says, Guys, do you think they will be more man to man this coming year? And please describe the traits of a man corner versus zone when uh, one looks at recruiting. Number one, it's hard to get more man than Notre Dame was last year. <laughs> I mean, there's not a lot more man that you can play. They were a heavy man team last year. I don't think that'll change. If anything, you may see them do more hybrid coverages and more zone at times. If anything, Ryan, not going more man, because they were a very ha- I mean, you go back and watch the Clemson game. I can't think of a snap that Benjamin Morrison wasn't impressed
2: by yourself man coverage. Because that's were- that's what those guys give you, man. I mean, if I think if anything, Brian, as you get more and more of those types of cats, right? If you get the if you get it, if you're in a situation down the road where or even this year where you have some more man to man cover type of players on the field. Like if you get a the two starting outside guys and then maybe a chance Tucker gets on the field or a Christian Gray gets on the field or a Ryan Barnes gets on the field. Like whoever it is, you could also you could also play some match. Cover stuff too, right? Where it's like you know, it's it looks like zone, but then it becomes man depending on what the team is is running against you, right? Where it kind of becomes you talking that, about that like old pattern match stuff that Bama yeah. used to do all the time. Okay, yep, that's becoming so much more influential. Not even in the NFL, but in college now, like a lot more teams are running that type of stuff and that pattern match man stuff. I, I think could be something that Notre Dame maybe looks to because if they have because guys zone defense that turns
1: into man is essentially. The best way to describe it to a, to a layperson is that yeah. it, it's I'm playing man of the guy that comes into my zone, basically,
4: depending and, and on what
1: this guy does,
2: I'm going to either cover him or I'm going to pass him off and cover that guy. It's, and why, why it's so tough is that it, masks as a zone coverage right so a team is like oh we're seeing zone and then all of a sudden he runs some concepts where oh wait why is that guy carrying that shouldn't be his own anymore and then that fools a guy right like that's kind of where it looks and I think that as you get more and more good man cover players across the board Notre Dame could run more of that stuff I mean right now they're heavy man team outside but you're still running zone stuff on the back end matched with that right but I think eventually I mean, it's not going to be a cover one, but some of this match man stuff could be influential in Notre Dame if they get enough of those types of guys down the road. So what do
1: we look for when we talk about a man cover guy? Because I I think, look, anyone with any kind of length at all and any kind of feel for the game can be his own guy. I think it's harder to find the guys that have the man traits. So what do we look for? Right. That sounded funny. We, there's fewer and fewer people that have man traits nowadays. That's a different conversation for a different day. Man coverage traits. I think the first one, Ryan, is you've got to be, and this is a very underrated, you need to have some length and you need to have great feet and you have very loose hips. Yes. and And because now, not every great man player is someone who's a press guy. Champ Bailey is one of the best man cover corners I've ever seen. Champ almost never pressed, right? Because he didn't have to. He was so fast that he could kind of come down and, and, and play in different ways. He was a, he played a really weird version of man that you can only play when you're Champ Bailey because you're that good. Am I, am I correct on that? I know that's how he was with the Broncos. Yeah. You are. But a, a lot of man is, it's some kind of, press or tight man, meaning you're going to be three, four, five yards off, but you're playing an aggressive coverage. You've got to have quick feet. You've got to be very efficient with your footwork, right? I mean, it's one, two turn type of stuff. You've got to have great hand-eye coordination because your ability to, to pr- press with your hand while then moving your feet and hips some, doing something different, that's where a lot of corners get in trouble. They don't have great hand-eye coordination. So when they press, their feet stop or they're just not as clean technically. And, and so I think that's it. You, your transition speed is, is really comes from your feet and your hips. You know, if you have clean. So when we talk about a guy being tight, it's just, you know, the guy's just, he he can't open up and run. And and we've used this example uh, in a show before, Ryan, where you talk about what's there's difference between a loose athlete and a tight athlete. It's Tavon Coney versus Drew Tranquil. We're right. at Pro Day, and they do a drill, and DBs will do this, where you're backpedaling on a line. So you're like the 20-yard line. And the, the coach will point to a direction, and your job is to flip your hips and come back, and then flip your hips and come back. And they'll point to the different directions. Sometimes they'll point the same direction. And what you want a guy to do is to stay right in the line, flip, stay, flip, stay, flip, stay. That's a guy that's got really loose hips. The guy with tight hips, when he flips, he's going to come off the line. And he's going to come off the line. Tavon Coney turned that into a zigzag drill. <laughs> it's not supposed to be a zigzag drill. Why? Because he's got really tight hips. And he's a tight athlete. And where Drew Tranquil is just like staying right on that line, flipping his hips, and bam, he was money. And that's why one guy who was a great college player is one of the reasons Tavon Coney's not in the NFL right now. And Drew Tranquil is a pretty good linebacker from what I understand from talking to people. He's a pretty good linebacker. Again, don't watch the NFL. (laughs) So, uh, but I watched the playoff game and, and he looked pretty good. I do watch the playoffs. So uh, that's it. And then there's the other parts of it, right? So that's all within the, the little press area. Then you've got to have, you got to be someone who has a great feel, right? Because there's a lot of guys that just, they don't feel. You, and what I mean by feel is when you're in man, you're looking back and you've got to kind of be in position where you kind of feel that guy behind you. Now, if you're, you've got to be someone who understands proper technique and leverage and some guys haven't, some guys don't. And then the other part of the feel thing is, is when you're looking back for the football, you got to still be with the receiver. And that's where a lot of corners get in trouble, Ryan, is when they look back for the ball, they lose the receiver. And that's what makes Benjamin Morrison so special, in my opinion, is because when he looks back for the ball, he stays on you. And that's what the great ones do. And that's what Cam would have issues with, is when he'd look back for the ball, he'd kind of lose the receiver a little bit. And then, of course, if you have, you have to have some length. You can't be a man cover guy and be 5'9 with short arms unless you are just a four, two and a 45 inch vertical guy. You know, I, I think that's a, that's, it's hard to do that. And so um, to me, I think those are the traits that I look for and with anything. There's some instinct to it, but physical traits, those are the ones that I, that I look for. And the longer your arms are, the more, the, the more effective you're going to be, in my opinion, of being a, a press man guy, but there's a difference in man coverage when you're a press guy versus an off man guy, right? Cause you can be a great man guy and not a great guy at press in my opinion. Sure.
2: So that, that's what I think, Ryan. Well, tell me what I missed. Uh, I would say the only thing that I would add is patience as a man corner is, is huge. And, and w- why does it matter? Right? Cause the more patient you are, the less that you're going to get out of position, right? You break on a slant and then the guy hits it and it's a, it's a sluggo or, you know, kind of bends it back and then just runs to the corner. Like those types of things. And what allows you to be patient, I think, is even more important, right? How can a corner be more patient? Well, one, it's just that inkling in your mind to you know stay, stay, in, stay in sync, stay in sync. But also, the more athletic you are, the easier it is to stay patient as a corner, right? And I think that those things that you hit on, which I agree completely on, is the smooth transitions, the foot quickness, and then the ability to turn and run. Like, if you have all those three together, it's a lot easier to stay patient, right? Because- I don't have to be a step early to be able to break on this ball to get to a certain spot because I can just ease into it because I am fluid and I am a great change of direction guy. Because if you are one of those guys that needs to break early, that's the guys that usually get out of position. That's where a guy will just break it off and just turn turn a little, you know, turn into a little speed out or something like that. So I think everything you mentioned as far as physical traits, absolutely the ability to stay attached down the field, hundred percent. And I would just add the ability to stay patient in your pedal is a huge thing. There's one thing I didn't mention either. To be a great man guy, you have to be able to run. You
1: have to have speed. Absolutely. Because there's going to be times with patience, with length, with technique, with feet, you're going to get beat at the line. Mm-hmm. Cooper Cubs going to embarrass you off the snap. So Jerry Rice is going to beat you at the line, right? Jerry, Sanders, Jerry Rice and Deion Sanders had some great battles back in the day. Deion won some, Jerry won some. But the reason Dion was able to kind of play Jerry better than most people is because even when Jerry beat him, he was fast enough to recover. Yeah. And and there there has to be a little bit of that as well. Is four, hey four, this guy beat four me? Four two
2: speed never hurts. Four two right. Speed never this hurts. guy beat yeah. me.
1: I got to be fast enough to fast enough. Or in Cam Hart's situation, fast and long enough to where even when you're beat a step, you're so dang long that you're still in position to be able to make that play. So that's that's another one as well. Let's get to just a few more of these. We're, we're kind of getting close to wrapping it up. Ryan, here's one for you, Ryan, um, from Milton Fan 15. Uh, where are things
2: with Gearby Lambert? Yeah, I mean, he's a player that obviously the staff wants to get back on campus here pretty soon, Milton fan. They're hoping obviously over the spring or summer, but things are in a good spot with Gerby, right? Gerby, I think, really likes Notre Dame and is is high on Notre Dame. I know that the staff is obviously equally as high as him on him. He's one of their main targets at the offensive tackle position. I think he's one of the more important players on the offensive side of the football for Notre Dame to land in this cycle. because he is a true left tackle type at the next level, in my opinion. The length, the athleticism, he's got all the tools. A little bit raw, but he's got all the talent to be that blindside protector. And he obviously comes from the same school as 2023 defensive end signee, Bubicar Traore. So I think Notre Dame's in a very good spot. Get him on campus, start to really get near the end in that recruitment. I think they'll be in a really good spot. It's just, you know, obviously they want to get him back on campus over the next couple months.
1: Next one here we have from Keith Wiegand. Ryan, here's one for you. How do you yeah. guys compare Anthony Specka to Cole Sullivan? Um, just real quick for all of y'all. These guys are both at Central Catholic in Pittsburgh, correct, Ryan? They're yes. teammates in high school. Same high school as Donovan Heinisch and Kurt Heinisch, obviously, and David, uh, David uh, Adams was a linebacker that came to Notre Dame. And DeMar Hamlin also was a teammate of theirs uh, as well in high school that Notre Dame also recruited before he went to Pitt. So uh, Anthony Specker recently committed to Penn State. He had a very early offer from Notre Dame. Notre Dame backed off. Cole Sullivan is a guy that just now got offered by Notre Dame recently. Uh, so I just want to give some background to those two. And, Ryan, you can yeah. now answer the
2: question. Yeah, I know somebody asked this on the board earlier, and I actually forgot to watch a little bit more of Cole Sullivan. So I just did that a couple hours ago, actually. So for so, how do they compare, Keith? They're not comparable at all, in my opinion, right? Like Anthony Specker common.
1: They both play linebacker.
2: Yes. Both play linebacker at the same high school. That's, sure. that's where it ends. Very Anthony Speck. Players. Yes. Anthony Speck is a six-one and 225 hundred and twenty-five-ish pound linebacker who has the potential to be a little bigger. it's going to be probably maybe about 235 pounds. He's a true inside linebacker. Like he's a very instinctive kid, not incredibly athletic, solid athlete overall, right? But he's a guy that's going to make his living off of being in the right spot more often than not, but he's a true inside player. You don't want him to stray out in space a ton. Cole Sullivan basically plays Rover in their system, right? He's about a six, two and a half, six, three kid. looks like he has pretty good length, pretty solid foot quickness, but he plays in space a ton, right? Like he's that guy that is going to work against screens a ton, going to work at the alley, like those types of things. So, I mean, again, to Brian's point, like outside of them playing, being labeled as a linebacker and playing at the same high school, I don't think they're similar whatsoever. Cole Sullivan's going to be a guy that's on the board for Notre Dame as a rover that maybe could be a will down the line, but a rover early on. Anthony Specker was a pure Mike on the next level. Like, that's what he is. He has to stay in the middle of the defense. Cole Sullivan's a little bit more versatile, but also, I mean, I, I I question the upside a little bit with Cole Sullivan. I think he's a good player for sure, but I just don't know if he's a tremendous impactful player. He's a good rover type, though, in my opinion.
1: Lance Hab has a question here. Uh, Ryan, what's the latest on Deshaun Warner out of Arizona? And David Palapale, uh, he's now – here's saying, David, uh, he announced uh, – Lance, he announced this week he's not going to IMG. Yep. He's going to stay in Pennsylvania. So, uh, Ryan, what's the latest with those two guys? There's really not a lot yep. going on right
2: now. No, I mean, Deshaun – Right, Deshaun Warner was a kid that they were out to see pretty recently over the last couple of weeks. He's a really talented bendy edge rusher for anybody that hasn't seen him out of, out of the state of Arizona. He's a really talented player, a guy that I I really like this film a lot. Uh, so Notre Dame's obviously keeping close tabs until they get on campus. It doesn't really matter, though, for being honest, right? So we'll see what happens in that department. Dave, David Pali Pali is a really impressive kid. Got his offer a couple a few weeks ago. He's a 6'2", 305-pound knows that could also play three tech a bit. He's played on the edge for his school out there in Pennsylvania. Again, he's a kid that is starting to blow up on the trail a little bit, really impressive athlete for the position. Notre Dame likes him by everything that we've obviously been hearing. So I think there's going to be some, there's going to be interest on that side. It's just about, again, let's get him to campus, right? Let's let him experience the Notre Dame side of things. But I think he's a really intriguing player to keep a close eye on. I think Deshaun Werner is a really interesting player as well, but I really think that for the Notre Dame perspective, Polly Polly is a guy that I think everyone should keep close eyes on because I think he is a player that the staff likes a ton.
1: Here's an interesting one, Ryan, and and, and I can give my answer first and then give yours next, but uh, it says who, MT41 asks, who did you got, have graded higher coming out of high school, Blake Fisher or Charles Jagasol? I actually had Charles Jagasol graded higher. Personally, Uh, I think Blake was a big, physical, massive kid, uh, outstanding high school player, but Blake had more to work on for me. Uh, To me, Blake could bend, but he didn't always bend very well. Uh, Sure. It was a technical thing. He needed work there. I think Blake has very good feet for his size, and Charles has better feet than Blake did coming to high school. Now, as juniors, I probably – I had Blake hire as juniors. Charles Jagasaw was outstanding as a senior. I mean, and and Blake to me can play left tackle. I always felt he was more of a right tackle, and I was always, I've always been obsessed with the thought of Blake being a guard because I just think he could be a truly special elite guard. And I feel similarly about Charles Jagasaw, but I just felt like Charles just looked more. Look, if you look at the grade, I have a point system, and if you fit into a certain, you got to get to a certain points to be a four star, four and a half, five. It's not like a gut feeling thing. Charles was like five points within the f- five-star range. Blake was like five points outside of it on a scale where they're both in the 700s, right? So it was very close. I just felt like Blake, Blake's inconsistent pad level and the fact that, to me, Charles has just better lateral quickness, better foot speed, are the two things that separate them. But in a lot of ways, they're very similar. And they're both outstanding. But I have Charles just slightly higher. And Blake see, ceilings are very similar. All of that, I, I just think that
2: to me, I had Charles just a l- little higher. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, I didn't grade Blake when he came out, right? So I can only speak to what I have from Charles. And I mean, I thought Charles was a five star as a senior. Same. I really did. I re- I liked him a lot as a junior because you could see all the talent that he had. You know, the size, the length, the explosiveness. The he plays with really nice Ben. To your point, too, right? right. And. All that stuff is great, but I think as a senior, you saw a lot a lot more comfort at the left tackle position. He moved over from right to left tackle as a senior, and I thought he looked comfortable. I thought the game really slowed down for him, and I had no questions after watching a senior film whether he was an offensive tackler or not. Like, after the junior year, I was like, he could play right tackle, but I think he could be a great guard. After watching a senior film, I'm like, kid's a tackle that could also play guard if he felt like it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's... What I see from Charles now, I think Charles is going to be an impressive player at Notre Dame. Man, I saw him at the San, uh, the uh, the All American Bowl down in San Antonio. wasn't able to participate, but fellas, I'm telling you, man. And, look, sorry, fellas and ladies out there, I, mm-hmm. I made that mistake yesterday. Just in case, I, I p- apologize. You have a but lot I more s-
1: ladies that listen to the show than you'd realize. Which I, I, I realized
2: realize that. that yesterday. I was like, oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, but they was- don't
1: comment in the chat a lot, which is I would like for them to do so more yes i think katie kevers is one of the few ladies that actually comments during the show so yeah Yeah. ladies let's yes get get us some questions let's talk talk, let's talk some ball but
2: anyway yes absolutely frank continue oh no yeah no i mean but he's up to 325 pounds and he does not look like it's not bad weight you know he's just a big kid man and like he's about – he's probably measuring about the same as Blake Fisher as far as being 6'6", being 325 to 330 pounds from in the ballpark. But Charles just has one of those frames where I think he could legitimately haul 335-ish and it would just look comfortable, right? Like it doesn't look like it's straying off of his weight or that he's putting bad weight on. So I think that he is an impressive kid that's going to be an offensive tackle at Notre Dame, could be a blindside protector I think – and he's just going to be a really good football player, man. I think his upside is just – I mean, <laughs> he was – I think he had an argument. If if he would have went to the old American Bowl, Brian, for some, I think there was a legitimate case that you could have said Charles Jagesson was the best offensive tackle in 2023. I think he had that type of conversation piece.
1: Yeah, he's really good. He's yeah. really good. It, it, we're going to talk about offensive tackles this next question, Ryan. I, I
2: just – Frank, can I can I throw yeah, one note in course. there without saying names? I heard, I did hear over here a conversation down in San Antonio where someone literally said from one of the major recruiting platforms that if Charles Jagasaw was able to play down there, that they would probably have bumped him to a five star. Just based which upon is him stupid. Yes, That's I know. Stupid. I, I know it is. That's but. the
1: dumbest thing that anyone. Like, if you don't know what he is by the time you've watched three years of high school film, or in his case, two years of high school film. Who cares what he does in January? At a freaking all-star game that's supposed to be fun for these kids. It's the dumbest thing I, like. Oh my god! I know that happens every year, and I know they have that mentality, but that's just stupid. Like, what, what? what so, what, let's say he had a great week. Does that trump what you saw from him in in games on film? This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Just, just repeat what I heard, man. Just so, it. Dumb. <laughs> so dumb. So <laughs> dumb. <sighs> Archer 452, Ohio State guy. says, speaking of senior bowl, Dewan Jones measured the largest wingspan in the history of the bowl. That man is massive.
2: It Almost, almost I know a 90 inch wingspan. I know you got
1: some opinions on Dewan James and what how he Dewan Jones and how he showed up at the uh the senior bowl.
2: Yeah, I mean, I have some mixed feelings on it, man. I, Archer, I mean, first and foremost, my man had 36 plus inch arms and a nearly 90 inch wingspan, right? So just massive dude six eight and an eighth i think he came in at uh, i i honestly was just very disappointed and i talked to brian before the show started why did he get back up to 375 pounds why i i just I, I honestly was a little infuriated by it because you had heard that he had gotten down to about the 350 range for this season right and honestly his 2022 film was a whole lot better than 2021 so i was like cool man that's awesome but then to the biggest job interview of your life you showed back up at 375 pounds it's a bad look to me man it's a really bad look so yes he still has for his size he has really impressive foot quickness for his size not a lot of bends because he's tall and he's a little out of shape right but he has decent foot quickness for his size and he's a massive human being there's no doubt but i still just why are you 375 pounds for what reason there's no reason to be that big. Be 350 like you were supposedly, or maybe he actually wasn't 350, and, and people lied about it. I don't know. But either way, I was very disappointed to see that he came in at 375 pounds. So. Is that really how big he was? Was he that was like 6'8 six, eight, six, eight and 8", eight, 375 pounds, 36 and some odd inch arms, 80, 89 and something wingspan. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm looking at now. Yeah, 6'8", 375, 11 and 3'8 quarter hands. That's, that's freaking huge. Yes. Yeah, 89 and a half wingspan. That's nuts. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's really nuts. 375 pounds. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah. I mean, that's why? I mean, I, my question is just why are you that big? I like you just don't need to be. I mean, because you've been now training for over a month, right? For this event. And it's just like, right. you just don't need to be that big. You just don't. Right. Be, especially because you were supposedly 350 during the season. So if you gained 25 pounds since the season, has that right. happened? That's not a good look, man. Yeah. I'd want to
1: see what he looked like. I just, yeah. you know. But yeah, I, I get your point. Here's two interesting questions we're gonna finish up on. One one is from Beefeaternd08. What happens to Stetson Bennett's? And I know you have a strong opinion on this one, Ryan. Yeah. What happens to Stetson Bennett's
2: draft stock after getting picked up for public intoxication? It's not just the public intoxication stuff, Toe Jam. Because like honestly, like people make mistakes, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he was out partying. He made a dumb decision. Okay. He's of age. Yes, right. he's 25 right. years old. Yes. He wasn't it's driving. My right. understanding is he wasn't driving. To me, that's yeah. different. It was public intoxication. Right. Yeah, exactly. So that though was on the the back of the fact for he felt that he wasn't didn't need to go to the senior bowl. Okay, we'll talk about that. That's that's a conversation piece, right? But then I'm also hearing, and I mean it's out there in the universe, so it's not like a inside scoop, but there's been some inconsistencies from how he maybe has been approaching conversations with scouts. So everything put together, just piling up here on the fact that he's already a five eleven quarterback with modest athletic tools, I don't think he's going to get drafted. I don't. I question if he really wants to even be a pro. I mean, honestly, like there's just it's just kind of thing after thing is kind of stacking up right now. So I I I, I honestly don't think Stetson Bennett's going to get drafted at this point. Can you elaborate at all,
1: Ryan? You may not be able to, but can you elaborate at all what you mean by how he has engaged the draft process with scouts and stuff?
2: Yeah. I mean, so it's it's basically, you know, you have conversations with scouts and there's been kind of a mixed opinion on how he has kind of approached scouts and spoken to them and just presented himself. And we'll leave it at that, right? It's just he is not maybe being as respectful as he possibly could be to the scouting community right now. Yeah. And I think the whole "I'm not going to play in
1: the Senior Bowl with no injury" was kind of a slap in the face to that process as well.
2: I know some people, you know, some people may not care about that. I I do. I and I I, I also I also push back tremendously on because I, I you know I put it on Twitter that like him skipping the Senior Bowl is a weird move for me. Like that's weird. It's odd because right. he's not a first round lock, right? Like a first round lock's like I don't want to go to the Senior Bowl. I don't want to compete. Okay, cool. You've you've already gotten to that level. Sure. He's a mid- to late-round player at the at that point, and he chooses not to compete at that senior bowl. I, I just don't understand – I don't understand what his thought process is with this situation right now. It's it's just yeah. a little odd. It's a little odd. Yep, I agree. Someone, compa- someone compared him mindset-wise. I got a text from a buddy that's in the scouting side that compared him a little bit to Baker Mayfield from a personality perspective, and that's not taken as a good thing. We'll just leave it at yeah. that. So. Okay, okay. <laughs>
1: Oh, my gosh. The Broncos are finalizing compensation in return for Super Bowl winning head coach Sean Payton. This clears there, you
2: well, go. there you go. There you go.
1: Lord have mercy. I hope I'm wrong about that one, but I'm not – you don't have a lot of draft capital, but again, what, then you're going to now give it up for a coach? Got didn't even play. Whatever. Well, it prevents him from drafting Will Levis. I guess that's a good thing, that's right? That's true. That's a good point. So, uh michael parks this is the last one we're going to go with here this is a this is a good one Ryan. it's a really good question i'm gonna let you take first crack at it yep michael Parks says hypothetical question if notre dame had cj stroud as quarterback last year do they win the
2: national championship i have a very strong opinion on this i'm very curious what you think Ryan. i I think that they definitely get to the playoffs i think they could compete for national championship i'm not sure if they would have beaten georgia though that's kind of my thought
1: I think the championship game against Georgia would have turned out very similarly to the game against that they had. I think it would have been lower scoring. I don't think it would have been forty-two to forty-one. I think it might have been like thirty-one to thirty. Because I just don't think Notre Dame was good enough in the front seven this year to win a championship against a team like Georgia. I don't. Right. Right. I think Notre Dame, I think the game will look different. I don't think Georgia would have the reason I think it would have been lower scoring is because I don't think Georgia would have thrown on Notre Dame the way they threw on Ohio State. Not even close. Assuming Cam Hart was healthy. But that's the other part is that's a tougher matchup without cam hart in the bowl game. yep, but um, cuz remember cam hart didn't sit out, he was in he was legitimately injured. so i just i feel like notre dame would have been able to move the ball. they would have made plays. they could have stayed with georgia, but i think at the end of the day i just don't have enough confidence in notre dame right up the middle to beat georgia. sure. and i think that's the thing that hurt ohio state. And and that's where you say, you know, you, you, you got to get better at certain spots. So I I think they'd have had a shot. I, I you know, here's the thing I'll say that, that if Notre Dame would have got into a similar situation at the end of the game that Georgia got, that Ohio State got into, you're down a point, you need one more first down to be in field goal range. At that point in time, Ohio State couldn't run the football at all. I think Notre Dame could have been able to run the football and gotten into better field goal range. That's fair. That's that's the only thing I would say. Now, would they have made it or not? I don't know. Noah Ruggles couldn't make it. And he's a much better kicker than Blake Grupy, but maybe give him an extra ten yards, maybe he makes it or not. I don't know. I think Ryan, I'm with you. I think they're a playoff team, no doubt. Depending on who they get in the first round, I think they're a team that could have gone and played for the championship. But I just don't think they had enough across the board talent to beat Georgia. I agree. You know, I mean, like Ohio State lost to them with Marvin Harrison and Emeka Buka, and I mean, you know, they had some dudes this year. Um, I just, I don't front seven's the key for me. They got to get, be- they got to get better there. Now, if you'd have given me this year's team on offense with CJ Stroud a quarterback in the 2018 defense, Notre Dame wins and wins by 10. Right. I mean, I really believe that.
2: Uh, but this team just didn't have that in my opinion. You, you know what you know what was a spot on Georgia that I feel like people didn't talk about enough but was quietly very good was their offensive line I thought was really yeah, good this year because
1: it wasn't Georgia. as dominant as it as, as it's been in past years Ryan but it was yeah. steady
2: it was good it was man.
1: very I, steady you, uh, it reminded me of a of a bigger version of the Clemson 2018 offensive line where I don't know if if there was necessarily any like that guy's a future top 10 draft pick right now. But just, man, they just get the job done week after week after
2: week. And they're, they're pretty very deep, steady. too. They're pretty yeah. deep, too. Because, I mean, Warren, Mc- Warren McClendon was like a part-time starter for them, and he's at the senior yeah. bowl, you know? And it was like he yeah. didn't even start all the time, which is pretty wild. So. Yeah, like there's no Joe Alt on that line. There's yeah. no Blake Fisher, really. Uh,
1: but just a really good, steady line. That's why I like that Clemson comparison, Ryan. They've had years they've had higher ups. There, there's no Andrew Thomas on this offensive line right? There's no guy like that, but just really steady across the board. I'll give him that. I'll give him that. So yeah, it's, that was a good question. I enjoyed that one. I enjoyed that one. So that's going to do it for today's show, everybody. Thank you all so much for being with us today. Uh, hit that like button before we get out of here, folks. Uh, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, uh, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. We would greatly appreciate a five-star review. That would mean, mean the world to us if you're listening to the show on podcast form make sure you sign up for the CFB nation app as well and sign up for the message boards at boards at Irishbreakdown.com. You can also sign up for our daily newsletter, which goes out just about every morning. Uh, It'll have all the top stories that we had from the day before. And it's stories that is a part of our free content. So irishbreakdown.com is where we do a lot of our written stuff. It's all of our free content. And then all of our premium Intel and all of our discussion happens on the champions lounge, which is our, our premium page. So definitely check that out. If you sign up for the gold club, you will get a free IB club mug and a free IB gold club t-shirt. If you shine up for the blue or shamrock club, which is just your way of helping us out, supporting us above and beyond uh, just your normal membership, you will then get a free IB club mug, uh, which only goes to people, those members, you can't buy it. Ryan doesn't have one. I don't have one. Vince doesn't have one. Sean Davis doesn't have one. Nobody has those except people that are part of the gold blue or Shamrock Club. So uh, those are the ways people always ask, how can I support you beyond just a membership? That's how you do it. You can find that at boards.irishbreakdown.com. For Ryan, on Brian. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. We'll talk to you again very soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.